You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. If you're looking for some encouragement, words of hope, and maybe a laugh or two, that's exactly what Richard wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up at our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, you can find all of Richard's talks right there waiting just for you, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Pedigree, and this is not talking about animals, we're going to talk about human beings. I want to try to point out today and show you, in the context of pedigree, the Bible is filled with genealogies. And frankly, when I get to genealogies, these family trees that are in the Bible, I mean, if you're like me, it's hard to slow down and read these things name by name by name. I mean, it's a little frustrating unless you're studying this. They're very important, though, because everybody in this room's got one, a physical genealogy. And whether you know it or not, you have a spiritual genealogy. You have a pedigree of some kind, and that word just simply means some way to trace back where you come from. But if you trace back Christianity, if you trace back faith, and from the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament, You take it all the way back. I mean, obviously it starts with Adam and Eve physically and even spiritually were affected by that. But Abraham is the first guy that shows up where God just basically picks Abraham and says, you're it. And I'm going to take you to this place and you're my guy and you trust me. And it says Abraham believed and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That just what made it right and made him the right guy. And it was out of faith basically at that point. Abraham has kids. Isaac, one of those. Isaac has kids, Jacob, Esau, and I want to focus in today on a guy named Jacob and 12 of his kids. And this is in chapter 49 of Genesis. And Jacob, who, by the way, his name was changed to Israel after he wrestled basically with God one night in a place called Penuel. His name was changed to Israel, and therefore we get the whole nation of Israel. Just flip a few pages over to Exodus chapter 1. You'll see in verse 1. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel. And you hear the children of Israel. Or are these just people that came or were born in Israel? No. These literally are the children of Israel, Jacob. And everything in the Old Testament, all of these people, all of these tribes, all that happened, everybody that moved and went together from Egypt into the wilderness, into the promised land, these people are kids who had kids, who had kids, who had kids. But it starts with this handful of 12 people from, well, Abraham, then they had kids, Isaac, obviously, then Jacob's where I want to focus today. Now, what differences make to us? Obviously, biblically, you can trace it back and see who these people were. But everybody in this room, everybody listening today, you have a genealogy, you have a pedigree, and you will have one. And in a moment when I read out of Genesis chapter 49, you're going to see that it makes a difference. And there are people in this room that'll live They'll die and you'll go to heaven, but that's about it. That's your deal. At some point, maybe when you were six or maybe in college, maybe high school, maybe when you were 30, you made a decision. You realize I'm screwed up. I've sinned. I need God. I got to have some forgiveness, some help. So you cried out to God and said, forgive me. You believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, raised from the dead to give you forgiveness of sin. And he forgave you. And you knew from that moment on, if you died, you'd go to heaven and nobody could change that. There are a lot of people, I think, in that category who know that. But that's where it stops. And if you follow those people around, they don't talk about their faith very much. Maybe in a pinch, 
Maybe somewhere where somebody's desperate at a hospital and they ask a question and you go, oh my gosh, I don't know, but I'll try to piece it together. I flew on a plane one time and acted like I was a pagan and had these two people sitting on either side of me. This is years ago. And I basically made them witness to me. And you'd be amazed, these two college kids, they were scrambling, piecing stuff together from vacation Bible schools and Sunday school and what their grandmother read them one night. And, you know, and I'd say, well, I don't know if I believe in it. How can you believe in a God you've never seen? And I mean, they're defending something. They are just diving in. And there are people out there who really don't know how to effectively articulate. And if you talk to people around them and say, well, did you know this guy in your office? He's a Christian. Oh, really? You know, wow, he's got an interesting vocabulary for a Christian. I mean, would there be enough evidence, somebody said one time, to convict you as a Christian? If I went around to your office, to your friends, your coworkers, to your neighbors, and said, you know, I hear so-and-so is a Christian. Oh, yeah, no-brainer. Oh, yeah, he's obnoxious about it almost. I mean, this guy believes. It was a no-brainer. Or are you this closet Christian that nobody really knows, and really you're not having any major impact on anybody. Now guys, you have a decision to make, and that is whether you're just gonna exist and die and go to heaven, or you're gonna make a difference while you're here. And it is a choice you make. It has to do with who you are as a person. And no one's gonna make it for you. If you don't get up and go, no one's gonna make you go. They're gonna encourage you. They might pick you up and try to lead you a little bit, but you've gotta make these decisions internally. And to break it down simply in Genesis 49, The dad here, Jacob, Israel, his name is changed to Israel, is about to die and he brings all his sons in and he's going to bless them. And you know, this is an interesting blessing when you see what he says to him. But he goes through them one by one. And remember, every one of these guys, every one of them, an entire tribe of people comes out of them. Literally out of them and the wives and the children that are born, an entire tribe, entire nations are created by these men and who they are. And it hits me over and over again. I think, well, I'm just a dad and a husband and a man. I got a wife and three kids. Let me tell you something. Those three little girls that are in my house will grow up and we pray for these guys wherever they are. You know, that my little girls are going to marry. I don't, you know, what are they doing today? Where are they going to church? Are they even in church? But my little girls, (laughs) you know, people say, well, aren't you disappointed you, you don't have any boys? I'm raising great women for great men. Because I married a great woman who was raised by great parents. And that's why I have a great wife, because somebody took the time to raise a great woman. And I will raise, Lord willing, three great daughters for three great men. Maybe they marry, maybe they don't. I'm not assuming that. But if they decide to marry or not, they'll be great women. But it won't happen by chance. And they will have children. And they will either be great moms if they have children or they won't. They'll either marry great men or they won't. They'll either have great families or they won't. But these things start to snowball and compound and you start tracking a family tree and it gets out of hand in a negative way, but it is an overwhelming possibility when you realize the impact your life can have. Now, let me just dive in here in, in Genesis 49 and let's start reading. And Jacob called his sons and said, gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. I mean, he's not sentencing them. You think he's blessing them, but here we go. Kind of telling their fate. Verse two, gather together and hear you sons of Jacob, my sons, in other words, and listen to Israel, your father. Starts with Reuben. And these guys are all standing there. And guys, I'm telling you, this is not a great pack of guys in some ways. This bunch of 12 guys, 11 of them sold their baby brother into slavery. If you remember the story of Joseph, these guys, a couple of them tried to stop. A bunch of them wanted to kill Joseph. 
And I'm telling you, read the Bible. I mean, I keep saying this. Read Genesis tonight before you go to bed. It's not a long read. And you'll see the amazing history of what happens here. They wanted to kill Joseph because he was so obnoxious, seeing all these visions. God used Joseph. But now they made it through all these problems. Joseph didn't die. He gathers his brothers. Their lives are saved basically because they did sell him into slavery. And he went to Egypt, ends up being prime minister of Egypt. But he starts with Reuben. He says, you're my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. And then verse four, he takes his head off. Unstable as water. I mean, if you're going to say something nice to your kids before you die, I don't know if this is where you go, but I mean, he's speaking the truth. He says, Reuben, you're unstable as water and you shall not excel. Now, all the psychologists out there telling you, you know, speak positive things to your kids. I mean, this is going to go right out the window, I guess. But verse four, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. I don't have anything to do with you. For in their anger, they slew a man and in their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger for it is fierce and their wrath for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And if you follow these guys though, God is merciful. And it turns out Levi, some great things come out of this tribe. So just because you screw up, and this isn't the last word, there's some redeeming qualities in these guys. Verse eight, now this is, Judah is not the firstborn, but look what he says, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. Then he goes to Zebulun. Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his borders shall adjoin Sidon. Then he goes to Ishakar, is a strong donkey. I don't know that I want to be called a strong donkey, but sounds stubborn to me. Lying down between two burdens, he saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way. Now imagine this father is going person by person, saying these things to each son and all the rest of them listening, saying, this is what your dad thinks, or this is what's going to come of you. And if you track scripture, it's exactly what happens. Dan shall judge his people, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Gad, a troop shall tramp upon you, but he shall triumph at last. Bread from Asher shall be rich and he shall yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses bountiful words. Joseph is a fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him and hated him. But his bow remained in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong. By the hands of the mighty God of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. And if you track this lineage, you come out with a Messiah through these families. By the God of your father who will help you and by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts 
and of the womb, the blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors. Up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. Benjamin, the last one, is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father spoke to them, and he blessed them. He blessed each one according to his own blessing. Now flip a few pages over to Numbers chapter 13. And one of these tribes, the name of the tribe is going to be portrayed here differently. Instead of Levi, I believe it's Ephraim. But if you'll look at Numbers chapter 13, these tribes have been taken out of Egypt, going into the promised land, supposedly. And God says, pick out a spy from every tribe and send 12 spies in the land and let them see what's up. And then we'll take it. 12 go in, 12 come out. Ten of them say there is no way. These people are all giants. We'll never take it. Two of them say we can do it. And the two that say they can do it are in verse 8, Hosea, and his name is changed to Joshua. If you see down in verse 16, one of them is from the tribe of Ephraim, Joshua, the son of Nun. Verse 6, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. And if you'll go back where I was a minute ago, you see what was said by their dad about these specific tribes. And then you see the kind of people that even come out of it. Two of these guys say we can do it. Ten of them say there's no way. This stuff keeps passing from kid to kid to kid. The character, the person that you are, the person that your father, now does it mean you can't break from this? No, this is physical lineage and you see how it affects them. Now I want you to flip to the New Testament, Mark chapter 3. Now in the New Testament, something amazing happens. In the Old Testament, you have 12 tribes. You have 12, all these things in 12s. In the New Testament, Jesus comes along and it isn't about physical lineage. He picks 12 men. And if you read the New Testament, you're gonna discover that these guys were screw ups. I mean, they're blue collar, some of them white collar, some of them no collar. They're just redneck, you know, ignorant kind of guys. They weren't educated, most of them. And God just picks these guys and says, you're it, follow me. And they followed him. And if you look in chapter three, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12. Now, why did he appoint these 12? It answers it in verse 14. That they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal the sicknesses and to cast out demons. And then he lists them. There's a genealogy of sorts here. Now, who are their kids? Me, you, everything physically in Judaism, Israel, it all goes back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these 12 sons and all the progeny beyond them. But if you go spiritually back in Christianity, it goes back to Jesus himself. It goes back to these 12 apostles. Obviously, Judas really bailed, betrayed Jesus, and he was replaced. But all of us get traced spiritually back to these people, these 12 guys. And I think if you start tracking who these people were, you'll find yourself in one of them. Maybe sometime we'll do a study of these guys individually. But some of us like Peter, let's just take some of them. Bold, say anything anywhere and anybody and then try to get all your feet out of your mouth, you know, and unravel what you've done. Some of you like Thomas, maybe, you doubt. Somebody says, well, I believe God can do this. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe back then, but not now. Are we gonna, well, I don't think we're gonna make it. You know, it's almost a negative, this doubtful thing. And you go through these guys and look at their lives. Judas, how many Judases are there? Just flat out turn him in for money, betraying. 
Peter betrayed him. Bold, but that got him into trouble betraying. We can find ourselves in here spiritually somewhere. But guys, everybody has an impact. We've all got a spiritual, we've got a physical pedigree, but we've got a spiritual pedigree. And these things don't happen just by chance. Peter, let's just stick with him. He could have just bailed. Man, I've denied Christ three times. There's no way in the world I'm worth anything. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you're going. I don't know what your purpose or your plan is, guys. But you've got to pick a lane and get in it. And you say, well, someday I'm going to sign up for some class or someday I'm going to get in a small group somewhere and really bond with some other Christians. And someday I'm going to go to one of these seminar things and deal with my struggles with sex or whatever your deal is, alcohol, drugs, whatever. You say, someday, let me tell you something, someday you'll be dead and it'll be too late. Maybe you're dating somebody, you're sleeping with somebody you're not married to, and you say, well, someday I'm gonna get this right. Let me tell you what happens. You end up married to that person because you won't stop and say, God, this is not right. It's screwing my life up, the only life I've got. And before I go headlong into marrying this person, I'm gonna talk to you about it and make sure the lines are open this way before I go hooking up with somebody this way. You gotta have the vertical going or the horizontals don't work. You say, well, I'll get to that someday. Let me tell you something. You are grinding your life to a pulp. You'll end up nowhere. You say, but Richard, I got a great job. You can lose a great job. In the last year, I know some dot-comers who are dot-nothing. Or you say, well, I didn't lose anything. I was smart. I'm smart. You know, if you're so smart, why don't you have any peace? Why is there no joy in your life? I remember a story, somebody in the church working out with somebody. I told this a long time ago, but I, for some reason, can't forget this. This guy befriended this guy. And he's angry, cussing, mentioned Jesus, and he just went off, you know, upset. And I don't believe in, I don't need Jesus. The guy had been raised with church. And he says, I don't need, I've got, you know, I got everything I need. And she looked at him and said, well, how's it working out for you? You know, the guy's just a nervous wreck. He's angry. He's bitter. It's not working. But when is it going to work? Some of you have gotten, you're listening to this tape maybe, or you got drug into church and you're just watching your clock going maybe, and I say drugged or drug into church. Sometimes it takes both. And you're waking up now going, wow, how did I get here? Where am I? You know, somebody slipped you one of those church drinks, you know, to get you here. And you're sitting here going, gosh, I got to get out get out of here. I don't like this. You know, you might be hearing God's voice somewhere in your heart trying to get your attention. And if you do escape this message, have you really escaped to anything better than what it's proposing? What are you going back to? What do you got waiting for you out there that's just such a big deal? that you can't live without, that's gonna fix it all. You say, well, my portfolio, God may come after my money. Let me tell you something. If you got $100 million in the bank and you don't have peace, you got jack. You got nothing. I run into people all the time that would give every dime they have to get one of their kids back. Everything they have, they'd give back to get their kid back. You say, well, someday, someday. Let me tell you something. Someday doesn't affect just you. It doesn't just affect me. It affects my kids. It affects your kids. It affects everybody around you physically in some ways, but spiritually in others. You don't have someday. You got today. Do the right thing for God's sake, for your sake. It makes a difference. And I don't know what your category is. Trust him and understand that it affects not just you, but people beyond you. There are people listening right now. Now listen close. Who are this close to making a commitment to getting off of your backside and stepping up to the plate and learning some things that will help you as a believer, will help you grow, but beyond that, help you have something when you have an opportunity, you'll have a, words to speak and give a reason for the hope that's within you. 
And you say, well, I'm terrified to go to a group because I won't know anything. That's why we have the groups, because you don't know anything. That's why it's so effective, because the people who come, come to learn something. You say, well, I'm stupid. No, you're ignorant. There's a big difference. If you're stupid, you're just stupid. Now, if you're ignorant and you don't learn, now you're stupid. And the sad thing about this, guys, is that whoever I'm talking to today, you're going to listen, you're going to make a decision, and then you're going to drift. You're going to wander around, and it'll be someday, someday, someday. And we'll get to the end of your life, and we'll look back and say, okay, what happened? Whose life has been changed when you are dead and gone? Let me tell you what I get excited about. People say to me sometimes, well, what happens to this church when you die? I got kids in the nursery I'm praying for that'll take over. Little boys in that nursery. Little kids, seven, eight-year-old, who these teachers out here volunteer and teach, they're in there pouring their lives into the future of this church. That's what's going on right down that hall. And my prayer is that God will raise up some kid in there, some kid that may not even be born. I'm grooming little kids down the hall to take over this church. That's where I'm thinking. And if I live long enough to see it, and if I'm on my deathbed and a bunch of people walk in and it comes time to bless them and thank them and praise them and do whatever, man, I'm looking forward to that because there'll be somebody to put hands on. There'll be somebody to say, it's gonna go on. When you die, is it over? Is your life over or does it go on? And what are you doing to change that? You say, well, I buy things for my kids. I'm a good parent. You know what? It's more, it takes time. It takes your life. It takes your breath. It takes everything you've got, but it takes a decision to leave a lineage that makes a difference. Before Richard comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, richardellistalks.com. You'll find today's talk right there in the talks page, along with all of Richard's messages. You can even forward them to a friend so they can hear them too. You'll also find the prayer wall to add your prayer requests, a link to connect with us, the contribute page for you to be able to give to this ministry, a radio station finder, all our social media links, and much more. So check it out, richardellistalks.com. And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. All right, let's pray. Our Father, I thank you so much for loving us, for caring for us, and that you do have a plan, you have a purpose, you have a desire to not just live in us, but through us and to change this entire world and you don't have a backup plan. We are it. The church is it. And Father, we thank you. It's a risky deal on your part, but we thank you that you've entrusted this to us. And I pray that as you were faithful to us, Lord, we would be faithful to the task. And that as you fill us, we would overflow, Lord. And as we overflow, it'd be purposeful. It'd be directional. And that everyone around us who knows us would be touched by you, Father, and by your life that lives in and through us. Lord, there are people on the verge. They're sitting on the fence. They wonder why their life's not moving, why it's not going. And finally, they're going to get up off the bench and say, Father, I'm in. I'm not just interested in dying and going to heaven. I want to live, God. I want my life to count. You know I'm a screw up. You know I've got problems. i got some challenges, some things I'll have to work through. But God, I'm in. And if you'll surround me with coaches, it'll help me learn, Lord. I want to be in the game. And I want it to be for your honor and your glory. Father, there are other people listening and it's not about getting in the game, it's about getting in the gym. They just feel completely left outside. They're empty. They may have everything, they may have nothing, but both ways they know they have nothing without you. And somehow you've opened their eyes, you've opened their ears, you've opened their heart. And they know today that all the stuff they've tried, maybe even other religions, it's just praying to statues and to dead prophets. And that finally there's a God that's alive 
There's a Savior who lived and died, but he's back from the dead. There's nothing that can hold this guy down. And that whatever problems we have or we face, there's nothing that Jesus hasn't seen and been through, been there, done that. So, Father, for those, I pray that they'd simply say, God, I'm a sinner. I've screwed up. I need your forgiveness. You know everything I am, everything I've done. And I'm sorry. And I'm changing my mind. I'm going to stop saying what I say is right and say what you say is right. I repent. I change my mind. And God, I thank you for loving me enough to let your son die for me, to pay my way. And I desperately need his mercy and his grace. I need a life, not just an eternal life, but a life between here and heaven. And God, forgive me of my sin and make me clean. Give me a new slate, a clean start, a new beginning, a new life. Come live in me. Come live through me. Change me from the inside out. Be patient with me, God. And I know that you will. I thank you that you've got a meaning and a purpose. And I pray that you confirm that you've moved in into my life by just overwhelming me with your peace and with joy that I've never known and fill me with your Holy Spirit and let me know you're here, God. Father, I thank you for those that have prayed right now. Maybe sometime this week they prayed and their whole life's been changed. Their whole forever has been changed. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus who makes it possible. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today to Richard Ellis Talks. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. One last thing, Richard Ellis Talks is a daily program, but also has daily costs. And being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. Maybe you've given to this ministry before or have waited for the right time. Well, we believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. Thank you for your very generous gifts. It truly means so much to us. God bless and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.